Psalms 33 and verse number 12. Psalms 33, verse number 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is their Lord and the people who has chosen as his own inheritance. Blessed is the nation whose God is their Lord and the people who has chosen for his own inheritance. Look at Psalm 85 and verse number 1. Psalm 85 and verse number 1. Psalm 85 verse 1. Lord, you have been favorable to your land. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all of their sin. You have taken all of their wrath. You have turned from the fierceness of your anger. Restore us, O God of salvation, and cause your anger towards us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will, you, will thou not revive us again? Somebody say, revive us again. This morning I want to preach on the thought, is there anything right with America? Is there anything right with America? Look to your neighbor and ask your neighbor, is there anything right with America? All right, is there anything right with America? Heavenly Father, we come to you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love today. Thank you for these wonderful people who have gathered out on this holiday weekend. We pray that you bless them. We open our ears and hearts to receive your word. Those that are gone for vacation, Lord, keep your hand upon them. Keep them from all harm. And uh, this weekend and this week as we celebrate, Lord, that no accidents would happen, but that you would keep your hand upon your church. And everyone shouted a great big amen. The United States of America is considered to be one of the greatest countries in the world. God has been good to us. We are so privileged and so blessed in so many ways. God has given us great liberty. He has given us great freedom. He has given us great amount of natural resources. He has given us great wealth. He has given us great military victories throughout the world. He's given us religious freedom. He's given us favor throughout the entire world. No other nation in modern history has been so blessed as America. Our foundation as a country was rooted in our acknowledgement of God and our dependency on His grace. We are blessed today because of God. Let us never forget that. America is a country that has inscribed on its currency in God we trust. It is a country that sings America, America, God shed His grace on thee. It is a country that recites the words, God bless America, the land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with the light from above. It reminds me when I was in grade school, before they started class in the morning, we always said the Pledge of Allegiance and sung a song. Maybe you're familiar with it. It goes like this. My country tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride, from every mountainside let freedom ring. But do you know that that song has the last stanza that normally we did not sing? But I want to remind you of the last stanza or the last verse 
of that song, My Country Tis of Thee. It says, Our Father's God to Thee, author of liberty, to Thee we sing. Long may our land be bright with freedom's holy light. Protect us by Thy might, great God, our King. You see that phrase? He's the author of liberty. Let us never forget that our freedom and our liberty comes from God. For He is the author of our freedom. Ladies and gentlemen, polished politicians is not the author of America's freedom. The judicial system of America is not the author of our freedom. Our military, and thank God for them, but they are not the author of our liberty. The Pentagon, Congress, our educational system, our economic system, the White House, our weaponry, the presidents are not the author of our liberty. Our liberty comes from God and God alone. Is there somebody that can wave your hand and say, Preacher, I believe that our liberty comes from God alone. In our text today, David declared that a nation is blessed when God is their Lord. He further stated that God was favorable to his land, but I believe that all of us could stand and say, as David said, God's been favorable to this land as well. He's been favorable to the land of America. On July the 4th of this Wednesday, all throughout our country, it's already started this weekend, but throughout this weekend and throughout Wednesday, people are celebrating. There will be a time of celebration. There's bonfires, there's family, there's food, there's fireworks. We celebrate because we acknowledge that we are free. It's independence. Now, if you know anything about American history, John Adams was, a, was crucial in drafting the Declaration of Independence. John Adams was a delegate from Massachusetts to the Continental Congress, which he played a leading role in persuading Congress to declare their independence from British rule. He assisted Thomas Edison in 1776 and was an advocate for liberty. John Adams wrote his wife in 1776 on July the 1st. And this is what he said to his wife, Abigail. I quote, this was his letter. The second day of July, 1776, will be the most memorable epic in the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as this great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as a day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. He then said it ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows and games, sports and guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations. From one end of this continent to the other, from this time forth and forevermore. John Adams, who is crucial in drafting the Declaration of Independence, said to his wife, this day is going to be a day of celebration. Now you know that according to American history that John Adams was off about two days. He said on July the 2nd, 1776. But let me just give you a little history lesson. The Continental Congress on July the 2nd, 1776 declared its freedom from Britain. 
They met in Philadelphia, and 12 of the 13 colonies voted in favor of Richard Henry Lee's motion for independence. But it took two days for them to draft the Declaration of Independence, and so on July the 4th, 1776, Congress officially adopted the Declaration of Independence, and so therefore we celebrated on July the 4th and not July the 2nd. You see, we can easily stand up here and say, well, that's good, Pastor, to know that we should celebrate July the 4th, but what does it mean to me? Well, let me just break it down to you. It's easy for us to stay, and, and it's easy for us to talk about everything that's wrong with America. It's easy for us to list all the sins of America. It's easy for us to say this is wrong, and this is wrong, and I don't like this person in office. It's easy. We all have our opinions. But you see, I am not here to debate what's wrong with America. I am convinced, ladies and gentlemen, that there are some good things about America. That even though her, we have many sins and faults and failures, I'm convinced that there are some good things about America. You see, John Adams didn't have in mind that we should remember all of its faults. John Adams was clear that we should celebrate because there is something to celebrate. There are some good things about America. So instead of us talking about what's wrong with America... Let us be reminded about what is right with America. Amen. Amen. Catherine, Catherine Lee Bates, who you've probably never heard of, but Catherine Lee Bates recognized what was right with America. In 1893, a group of teachers decided to visit Pikes Peak. The elevation was 14,000 feet high in the air, and Catherine, who was a teacher, taking a trip with her fellow teachers, when they got to Pikes Peak, she said this in her journal, and I quote, We hired a prairie wagon, and near the top we had to leave the wagon and go the rest of the way on mules. I was very tired. But when I saw the view, I felt great joy. All the wonder of America seemed displayed there with a sea-like expanse. It was then and there, as I was looking out over the sea-like expanse, spreading away so far under those ample skies, that the opening line of the hymn floated into my mind. When we left Colorado Springs, the fourth stanza was penciled in my notebook. And what, did, what song did Catherine write when she saw the beautiful sea-like, sky-like expanse? She wrote these words. Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain, for purple mountain majesties above the fruited plain. America, America, God shed his grace on thee and crown the good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. Hallelujah. Catherine was so, Catherine was so inspired by what she saw because Catherine realized that there are some good things about America. John Adams agreed that there are some good things about America. Is there something that we can focus on this morning that's good about America? And I would say yes. The first thing I think we can need to celebrate is our founding. Somebody shout our founding. Somebody say our founding. Our founding we should celebrate. You see, most of our founders in America was mostly Christian. A few of them was deist, but most of them were Christian. George Washington, which is the founder of our country, said it like this, and I quote, 
He said it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. Our liberal friends would say that George Washington was a deist, but history records that George Washington was later converted in his life and baptized by a Baptist preacher by immersion in the Revolutionary War. John, uh, George Washington was clear that you cannot govern the world without God in the Bible. What about Patrick Henry? He said it like this, and I quote, It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this reason, peoples of other faiths have been afforded prosperity and freedom of worship here. These are our founding fathers. What about James Madison? And he said, and I quote, We have staked the future of all of our political institution upon the capacity of each of us and all of us to govern ourselves, to control ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments. Did you know that Thomas Jefferson began the practice of appropriating money for missionaries to India, for Indians? a practice that was well conducted until the 19th century. During the time of Jefferson's administration, Bibles were placed in every school district in Washington, D.C. at the expense of Congress. What are you saying, Pastor? I am saying that our founding was rested on the acknowledgement that there is a God. Our founding was rested on our acknowledgement that our liberty comes from God and God alone. Do you know that as you walk up the steps of the Supreme Court, you will see a row of statues of various lawgivers, and each of them are turned, looking to the person in the middle, and that person is Moses in the middle. There it is. That's the picture engraved at the Supreme Court of the United States of America. Moses is in the middle and the lawgivers are looking at Moses as Moses is holding the Ten Commandments. What are you saying, preacher? I am saying that our very founding was rested upon our acknowledgement that there is a God. Is there anybody in the building that can wave your hand and say thank God for our founding this morning? Thank God for our founding. As you enter the Supreme Court, the oak doors of the Supreme Court, at the lower bottom of the doors of the Supreme Court, there is a picture of the Ten Commandments engraved in the door. The first Supreme Court Justice, John Jay, said it like this, and I quote, America should select and prefer Christians as their rulers. Do you know that on the aluminum top cap of the Washington Mount, there are two words that says, praise be to God? That in the cornerstone of the Washington Monument is a Bible. The walls of the Capitol Dome in Washington has words around the dome that says this, the New Testament according to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You see, ladies and gentlemen, our founding, was rest, our founding is in God. There is inscriptions all throughout Washington, D.C., in museums, that will prove that our founding is founded in God, that our very founding was religious. The greatness of our founding is found in our acknowledgement of God, from the pilgrims to John, Jonathan Edwards, to the great revivals of the 17th and 18th century. You see, our, our history is rooted in religious involvement. 
The Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, was all founded on a biblical worldview. The Declaration of Independence correctly states that our liberty comes from, and I quote, the laws of nature and the nature of God. You see, Benjamin Franklin, it was recorded that Benjamin Franklin oftentimes would call Congress to pray when Congress was faced with difficulty. Benjamin Franklin was the first to call those men to pray and they would see God work. I want you to think about the picture of that General George Washington at Valley Forge. His little army was almost starving and freezing to death. And everything that they held dear was at stake. But do you remember seeing that picture of George Washington in Valley Forge? He was fighting against, fighting against a, 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 a insurrable odds that was facing him. But you see in that picture that George Washington was knelt down and he was praying. Because even our founding fathers realized that true victory and liberty does not come through weaponry or military might, but it comes from God alone. What about Woodrow Wilson? our 28th president of the United States. He said it like this, America was born a Christian nation. America was born to exemplify that devotion to the elements of righteousness which are derived from the revelations of Holy Scripture. On and on, ladies and gentlemen, I could tell you president after president, our founders declared that our founding is in God alone. And I want to remind this church today that it doesn't matter what the left may say. Our country was founded on the principles of Almighty God and the only reason that we are blessed is because we put God first. So what is right about America? What's right about America? It's our founding is right. Number two, our freedoms are right. That's what's right about America. All of the freedoms that we enjoy today, we owe it to our founding fathers and those who have defended our freedom and those who still defend our freedom. If you are in the military today or served in the military, we want to say God bless you and thank you for fighting for this country. Amen and amen. Thank you for fighting for this country. We live, in a, we live in a generation where there's an anti-American spirit. You will see people burning the flag. There are those who will undermine our authority and undermine our freedom. There are those who will say, well, those who signed the Declaration of Independence, they didn't do it out of principle. They did it out of greed and they did it out of prosperity and wealth. They didn't do it out of principle. But I beg your pardon. Because history proves that those who signed the Declaration of Independence, they didn't do it for wealth and prestige. They didn't do it for greed. They did it by principle. And the principle was freedom. They wanted to be free from British rule. And you see, ladies and gentlemen, those men that signed the Declaration of Independence had far more to lose than they ever gained. Because if you study history, some of them were beaten, some of them were robbed, some of them were murdered because of their dedication to liberty and freedom. They were motivated by freedom and liberty, not motivated by prosperity and wealth and greed. They were motivated, motivated by a quest for freedom. Most of those who signed the Declaration of Independence, most of them were wealthy. 
24 of them were lawyers. Nine of them had rich land, uh, had land and they were rich farmers. 11 of them were merchants. Some of them were doctors and clergies and ministers and physicians. They all had families. Their life was at stake here. They didn't do it for wealth. They did it for freedom. They felt that, that, they, they felt that there was something more to life than security. They felt that freedom was at stake. They gave up their life to sign it. And when you look at this flag this morning, those red stripes on that flag, those red stripes are blood stains. Those are bars of blood. Those people paid the price for this country. And how dare we stand up and burn the flag and mock America when men and women have given their life for us to be free. Is there anybody that's sick of the liberal media that will try to make America out like we're not great? We've been great and we always will be great as long as we put God first. Donald Trump is not going to make America great. God is the author of our liberty and freedom. We don't agree with everything our president does. Sometimes he says things that I just cringe. I was like, dude, dude, if, if they slam blast you, that's your fault, you know? But we're commanded to pray for him. Can I hear an amen? We're commanded to pray for our leaders. When we acknowledge that God alone brings liberty and freedom, as we stand with the Word of God and pray for our leaders, ladies and gentlemen, may God never take His hand off of this country. I don't care who's in office, we need His hand to be on the country. I don't care who's making decisions, we need His hand to be upon this country. May we never have a dictatorship in America. May we never surrender our freedom. May we never surrender our right to vote. May we never surrender our privilege to worship. May we never surrender our freedom of speech. May we stand up and be proud to be an American. Hallelujah. This is the only country in the world where you can stand up and talk about our leaders and burn the flag and never be jailed for it. We have freedom of religion. You can worship anytime, anywhere without the persecution of religion. And I want to know, why are you not taking advantage of that? You're living as if you have all the time in the world and that you can go to church whenever you want. It's slowly being taken from us. So we better jump on the bandwagon and be faithful to the house of God. It is a privilege that men and women died to give us. And it's not a privilege for us to sit home. It's a privilege for us to come and take right of that freedom. We don't know what it means to be controlled. We don't know what it means to be persecuted. No matter what the liberal media say, say we are not a Nazi country, we have faults. People say things they shouldn't say. People hurt people's feelings. But there is no consecration camps here. Nobody's being gassed. Nobody's being murdered. 
Have you ever seen a concentration camp? The millions of Jews that Hitler put in gas chambers, raped their women. America is far from that. We have our faults, believe me. There are some things that need to be changed, yes. But millions of people are not being slaughtered. Concentration camps. There's millions of babies being slaughtered on abortion tables. Our founding fathers bled and died to make it what it is today. We got to keep it. A humble Baptist preacher by the name of Roger Williams was persecuted for his belief. Roger Williams fled to a little place called what is known as Rhode Island today. But he fled to this piece of land and he called that territory Providence. Roger Williams constructed the constitution of that town. And in that town, the constitution states this, that every man should be permitted to worship God according to the dictates of his own conscience. That's a freedom that we have. That we should worship God as we see fit. What is right about America? Oh, there's lots of things wrong, church. Believe me, I don't want you to think I'm don't see those things. But there are some things that's right about America. Our founding is right. Our freedoms are right. Number three, our faith is right. Our faith, our faith is right. Our faith, what do you mean, preacher? Do you know that America has a deep, rich history of revivals and awakenings? Hallelujah. <laughs> If you study anything about the history of America, oh, there's great revivals all over the world and it's been recorded. But do you know that America is rich when it comes to faith? It's rich when it comes to a history of revivals and awakenings. The, one of the very first things that you see in America is what we call the Great Awakening of 1734. 1734 to 43, the Great Awakening. The Great Awakening happened here in America. It broke out in Northampton, Massachusetts. Jonathan Edwards was a pastor in that city. And Jonathan Edwards became very discouraged with his church. Because people wasn't coming to church. He went on a fast and began to pray and fast. He only saw about four to six people saved in a few months. His fasting and praying continued. Until all of a sudden, John, uh, Jonathan Edwards said, in a town of 1,100 people, get this, in a town of 1,100 people, revival broke out in Jonathan Edwards' town, and out of that town, 80% of the town became converted. It started what we know as the Great Awakening. From that little town in Massachusetts, by the preaching of John Edwards, his, uh, Jonathan Edwards, his praying and his fasting, his church began to grow and explode, and a hundred little towns around him broke out in revival, and multitudes of thousands began to get saved. George, George Whitfield began to preach at the same time, and it is estimated that 80% of America heard the preaching of George Whitfield, and most of them became converted to an evangelical church. 
It was called the Great Awakening of 1734. America is rich in revivals in history. What about the Second Great Awakening in 1800? The Second Great Awakening of 1800 happened by a Presbyterian, or excuse me, a Christian church pastor, James McGreedy. James McGreedy was a pastor in Logan County, Kentucky. He started to have what you call camp meetings. He opened his, the campground up for communion and worship. People started coming from different towns over, started taking communion and worship, and all of a sudden, a great awakening happened that James McGreedy said that strange, quote, manifestations begin to happen. People fell on the floor. People begin to talk in strange languages. People begin to shake. People begin to run. He said he didn't understand everything, but these were strange manifestations. They could hear people shouting and crying for yards and yards away. Out of curiosity, people begin to come to Logan County, Kentucky, and a great revival begin to happen, and it spread throughout the state of Kentucky and all down the southern border. A hundred thousand people became converted alone in Rochester, New York, alone. In 1831, a revival hit also in the eastern part of the U.S., and 1,500 towns begin to be converted under the preaching of evangelical preachers. Something began to happen in America. Hallelujah. What about the businessman revival in 1847? This happened in New York. There was a man by the name of Pastor, there was a businessman by the name of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a part of a Christian church in New York. And Jeremiah was praying one day and he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And the Lord said, I want you to have a prayer meeting. The reason that he had a prayer meeting was because Jonathan was, con or excuse me, Jeremiah was concerned that he saw everybody busy on the streets of New York. Everybody was running here, everybody was running there. They had their briefcases, they were so busy, and he thought to himself, Is anybody really praying? So he opened the church up at noon every day and called for businessmen to come and pray. He only had about six people the first prayer meeting. He had it the next week, 20 people showed up. He kept having the, this prayer meeting, 40 people showed up until the church was filled at noon for prayer meeting. And in 1857, revival hit that church and one million people were converted throughout the United States of America. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that there's something right about America. We have rich soil. Oh, hallelujah. In America for revival and awakening. Is there anybody hungry for another revival? Woo! Hallelujah. The next revival that happened in America was called the Civil War Revival. During that revival, thousands of our men were slain because they were fighting for freedom. But during that war, 300,000 soldiers were converted to Christ because of chaplains praying for them. I don't know about you, but that is a revival. There was an urban revival in 1875. Dwight Moody began to preach under the power and the unction of the Holy Spirit. And Dwight Moody began to preach all throughout America. And hundreds of thousands of people were converted under his mighty preaching. What about the revival of 1905 and 1907? That Welch revival that happened in Welch. Evan Roberts 
Evan Roberts would spend hours in prayer saying, Lord, bend me, 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 Lord, bend me. Oh, he would go to church and history tells us that Evan Roberts would stand before the congregation and he wouldn't say anything, he wouldn't sing anything, he would wait for the power of God to show up. And history tells us that the power of God would show up and revival broke out in Welch and not only did it break out in Welch, it started to spread to the U.S and it broke out in Pennsylvania with our Welch brothers and sisters and Billy Graham got in the revival Billy Sunday got in the revival and began to preach the gospel throughout America and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of souls were saved during the Welch revival that spread to America and the preaching of Billy Sunday hallelujah what are you saying preacher I am saying that America is ripe for revival we have a history of revival what about the Azusa Street in 1906 where William J. Seymour an African American holiness pastor blind in one eye went to Los Angeles to candidate for a pastoral job but after he preached he was locked out of the second service because of the color of his skin but he began to pray in a nearby home and the Spirit of God began to come and he called it a second blessing and it filled the house and people began to come to his house and begin to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There was people from all different ethnicities begin to come. And let me tell you something, when true revival comes, it is just not a white thing and a black thing and a Mexican thing. It is all colors and all nations. It is the church of the living God coming together under the umbrella of the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you the Pentecostal movement started on 312 Azusa Street because they gathered in an old mission and began to pray and seek God. And from five years, that revival touched the world. Pentecostal denominations were birthed out of that. What about the post-war the post-war Revival or awakening. During 1947-1948, Pentecostals were starting to lose the fire again. 1906, the Azusa Street blessing was poured out. But in 1947-1948, the post-war, people were discouraged. They were losing out. And just in 1948, Pentecostals began to experience the latter rain movement, the healing movement. People like Oral Roberts, those after him, begin to pray for those who are sick. And multitudes of thousands of people begin to be healed under the power of Almighty God. They begin to set up tent meetings all throughout America, being praying for the sick. Bill Wright began to campus crusade for Christ. Billy Graham began to preach in the 40s and 50s and 60s. And great people, multitudes of thousands were coming to Christ. College revivals were beginning to happen. Wheaton College in 1950, achieved a great revival where multitudes of hundreds were saved. What about the charismatic renewal or the Jesus movement in the 60s and 70s? Those hippies were smoking things they shouldn't be smoking, but Jesus showed up anyway. I said Jesus showed up anyway. A great revival happened among those who were the outcasts of the church. People were tired of institutionalized church and religion. 
and the Pentecostal blessing begin to spread across denominational barriers. Catholics were getting filled with the Holy Ghost in 1960. It was crossing across denominational barriers. The, the, the Pentecostal church didn't have the capstone for the Pentecostal blessing any longer. It was spreading across denominational bar barriers. Episcopal priest in California was praying. And this priest, as he was praying, received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which sparked the charismatic renewal. What about the revivals of the 1990s, where the Toronto Blessing and the Brownsville Revival happened on Father's Day of 1995 in Pensacola, Florida? There was a record of 100,000 people being converted in five years from 1995 to 2000 because of the Brownsville Revival. 100,000 people were converted. The last great revival that America has seen was also in the 90s. It was called the Promise Keeper Revival. This was a group of men that decided that they was going to keep the Scriptures and be the men that God has called them to be. And on October the 4th, 1997, over a million men gathered in Washington, D.C. Across America, these men came from America and around the world. They impacted nations. Men started standing up saying, I want to be the man that God has called me to be. Why did I list these revivals to you? These were the great revivals in America. The Great Awakening in 1735. The Second Great Awakening of 1800. The Businessman Revival of 1847. The Civil War Revival of 1861. The Urban Revival of 1875. The Revivals of 1905 and 1906. The Azusa Street Revival of 1906. The Post-War Awakening in the 1940s. The charismatic renewal in the 1960s and 70s. The 1995 revival of the Pensacola, Florida. The Promise Keeper revival in the 90s. That was the last great revival that America has seen. These are the major revivals that we have recorded in American history. And I said that to say this. That we are ripe. Whew. I'm about to shout. I said we're ripe for another revival. It's been about 25 years since we've had one. And I promise you, church, we're getting ready to experience one of the greatest revivals that's ever been recorded in human history. The power of God is getting ready to hit America because there's something right about America. And you know what's right about America? We still got Bible-believing Christians going to church, still believing in the power of God and the move of the Holy Ghost. Is there anybody that's ready for a revival that will shake the gates of hell and send this nation back on the course to greatness? Hallelujah! I said hallelujah! Remain standing. Smith, I'm about to show. Smith, Smith Wigglesworth, right before he died. Smith Wigglesworth was that great man who performed miracles and signs and wonders. Right before he died, Brother Matt, 
He said, and I quote, This world has been visited by great awakenings and moves of the Spirit. He said, but I see one last move coming. A move that will be greater than any other move that's ever been recorded in human history. A move that will shake the gates of hell and cause the church to be the church it was designed to be. He said, look up, look up, look up, for I see the rain clouds coming. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to let you know that there is something right about America. Our founding is good. Our freedom is good. But America has a rich soil in revival and awakenings. And I prophesy to this church that the reason that we moved to Galena wasn't just to be here in a big building. But the reason that we strategically moved here is because God in the foretime of history has designated this church to be a well, a wellspring, Somebody help me out right here. Did y'all just hear what I said? I said the reason that we moved here wasn't that we can just have a big, beautiful building and let everybody praise us about how good this building looks. No, 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 no. The reason that we are here is because in 1906, or 1904, 1906, in Galena, right in this town, a man by the... A man by the name of Charles Parham. Did y'all hear what I said? Charles Parham is called the founder of the Pentecostal movement. Charles Parham began to preach that when somebody receives the Holy Spirit, that there should be a physical evidence that comes upon them. He begins to preach. He comes to Galena to Mary Arthur's house. Right across the street from Galena Assembly of God, there's a white house, Mary Arthur house. Mary Arthur was healed at Charles Parham's meeting. And Mary said to Charles in the 19, early 1900s, would you come to my hometown Galena and have a revival? Charles Parham says, where am I going to preach at? She says, I'm going to open up my house and I want you to preach in my living room. So Charles Parham comes to Galena, Kansas to Mary Arthur's house. Y'all think I'm joking. I've been to her house. They, they, <laughs> He, he opens the house up and guess what he begins to do? He begins to preach. And guess what I found? You can go to Joplin and look at the archives. I'll, I'll bring it up to you before. You can go to the archives in Joplin and pull up the newspaper in the early 1900s and there is an article about a revival that has hit Galena by the name of Charles Parham. They estimated that there was a thousand people in her front yard receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Multiple people were filled. Multiple people were filled with the Holy Spirit and multiple people were healed physically. That revival spread from Galena into Joplin and Joplin has an archive, a newspaper that declares, and the, I don't know who wrote the newspaper, but I read the newspaper and this is what the guy said and I quote, he said, perhaps that the revival that has hit Galena might be as big as the revival that was recorded in Acts chapter 2. 
He says, he says, so Charles Parham leaves Galena, Kansas, and he goes to Los Angeles, and he was a part of the Azusa Street Revival for a short time, and then he eventually left. What are you saying here? It is strategic. Everything that God does, God does it strategically. Everything that God does, he does it according to his providence. We have been sent here, not because we can have a big building and a big gym, but we have been sent here because God is getting ready to visit Galena again. God is getting ready to visit Joplin again. God, whoa, hallelujah. I said, God is getting ready to visit us. And I don't know about you, but we've got to make room for everybody that's getting ready to come. And can I hear an amen? We've got to make room for them. Because you can't give you can't give up. Can't give up. Some of you want to get discouraged. But you remember those revivals? They prayed and they fasted and they believed. And when you continue to believe and when you continue to fast and you continue to hold on, it's going to happen. I was in here praying a couple weeks ago. And as I was praying, those doors were open. And I saw in the spirit a river flowing from the outside into this sanctuary and hallelujah I said Lord my God as I begin to look at the church and you notice that the you notice that it's slanted a little bit and I saw the waters coming in and it's just flowing down the slant here and it's making a pool of water and I said to the Lord Lord it ain't going very fast is it it's just a little bit it's just a little bit of water he said just that's all right that's all right a little bit is all right he said because I'm getting ready to send more he said you got to teach my people to be appreciative of the river that's already here and when they get appreciative of what's already here I'm going to send now I am sorry I got all hyped up this morning I wanted to act dignified so if you're a guest this morning please forgive me we're Pentecostals we love Jesus sometimes we get emotional just like people get emotional at a basketball game a football game I know a lot of people are gone today because they're all on vacation, but this is strategic for you all here. I don't know about you. Is there, is there anybody in the spirit that feels something going to happen? You just, you just feel it. <laughs> I said, is there anybody just feel? The, you just feel it in the spirit. You know that something's getting ready to happen. And hallelujah, you know what we're going to do? I want us to bust out in some praying this morning. I want you to lift your hands, and I want you to say, God, if you're going to do it anywhere, do it here. Don't, 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 don't miss us. Don't, 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 don't overlook us. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah.